Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to flight number six of the Thing You Do podcast. I'm your captain, Captain Tammy. In the cockpit with me today is Lieutenant Colonel Bob Allen, which means you're in very good hands on today's flight. Captain Bob has been a pilot to celebrities, world dignitaries, and even a few presidents and their families. We're currently next in line for takeoff and should be in the air momentarily. Please secure your belongings, fasten your seatbelts, and ensure your seats and tray tables are in the upright position for takeoff. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy your flight. And thank you for choosing the thing you do. So it's not really all that shocking when you think about it that Bob Allen became a pilot to presidents when you consider that Bob is just one of those people who reaches the apex of whatever he does. If there were an overachievers club, he'd be the president. For example, in high school, Bob played three sports. Three. Not only was he the starting quarterback for the Lee High School football team in Springfield, Virginia, but he was also the team captain and starting guard on the basketball team and the team captain and shortstop for the baseball team. In his free time in high school and college, he didn't just go bowling and play pool. He won bowling tournaments and... I was even a collegiate billiards champion. (laughs) and a military billiards champion. (laughs) And by his senior year at Randolph-Macon College, he was starting shortstop once again, and now scouts were paying attention to him. In fact, there's a pretty good chance that Bob would have gone on to play in the major leagues, but as Bob puts it, before Houston could draft him, the Army did. So instead of ending up a star in the major leagues, Lieutenant Colonel Bob Allen ended up having a remarkable career as an airman and a pilot, including his time as an Air Force One pilot. Kind of. It took me a while to really understand how Bob ended up as an Air Force One pilot and what exactly he did in that role. He was part of a unit that at the time, and even now, is actually kept on the lowdown. When most of us think of Air Force One, we think of the big 747 that we see the president boarding on the news all the time. But turns out that's just one of several planes of varying models and sizes that are used to transport the president, his family, and other dignitaries. I'll let Bob explain. Our call sign was SAM, which is Special Air Missions. You had to be a DV-3 or above. A DV-3 or above is, is a congressman, uh, senators, four-star generals, vice president, president. To be flown that's, by Sam. That's it. Okay. That's it. They're the only ones that qualify to fly with the 89th. And DV-4 stands for what? Uh, DV-3. DV-3. Distinguished visitor. Okay. So to clarify, the 89th Airlift Wing at Joint Base Andrews in Maryland is home to a unit called SAM, Special Air Mission. SAM provides air transportation for a variety of dignitaries, including the president, vice presidents, their families, congressmen and women, etc. Under the umbrella of SAM, there's another division called SENEX, short for Senior Executive, which exclusively serves the president. This is the unit that still technically doesn't even exist, except at this point, people know about it. It consists of the 747 that we all identify as Air Force One, but there's also a backup 757 and then the smaller Gulf Stream that Bob flew during his time in SENEX. Wherever the president goes, a C-20 goes there. For all practical purposes, I'll use the term, it's an escape vehicle for the president. That's, okay. not, that's not the only purpose, because if he, can't, if he can't get into a certain 
airport with a 747. He'll fly in in a, uh, in a, in a Gulfstream. As I said, if they need to get the president out of, out of an area quick, we're right there. We could be airborne in an astounding few minutes, single digits. Um, and that's from the time they notify us. Whereas the 747 takes at least 45 minutes to get it ready and get it in the air. So if they need to get the president out, they, he always has one of these available. Why does the 747 take so much longer just for because fueling? It's, and oh, no, no, it's just, it's, there's, a, there's checklists long. We stay, we stay what's called cocked. We, have, we take it right up to engine start, and then it stays that way with all the INSs and everything up because it has constantly has electricity on it and everything. And then all we have to do is just run to it, jump in there and punch, punch the button to start the engines. And then they pull it out and we're gone. Uh, now, even when they're in DC, even when the president is at the White House, we sit alert. We had the hardest, what's called the hardest alert in the Air Force, 72 hours. And if my bed was right here, the airplane would be right there. So you're, you're like 20 yards from the plane? Oh, less than that. And so if you're yeah. on call, basically. 72 hours, 72 hours, if that klaxon rings, I have to be airborne in, in a very few minutes. So it's almost like a firehouse, like you're a firefighter. You're exactly. like ready to go. As a matter of fact, I was in the shower one time <laughs> when the klaxon rang. Oh no. I just whipped a pair of shorts on, I put a t-shirt on, I put, uh, and I had, I had um, not shower shoes, but I had, I had a pair of Crocs. <laughs> I ran to the airplane and launched like that. Fortunately, it was, okay, you know, it was nothing but an exercise return to base. So we just pulled the clothes, came back in, landed, landed, went back in, and, and then I got dressed. After that, <laughs> after that, I always kept a flight suit with me. Makes sense. You learn the hard way. At least you learned in a situation yeah. like that, right? But we, we would be locked up in this building for 72 hours, for three solid days. Wow. So whenever the president travels, wherever he goes, even when he's at the White House, there's a fleet of planes on the ready. When we go into an air, when the president gets, I don't care what airport it's at, whether it's LAX, Chicago O'Hare, JFK, where, wherever it is, when the president sets foot on, on that airplane, as he comes back and sets foot on the airplane, the tower comes up and says, all aircraft stop, uh, hold in place and, and maintain radio silence. All traffic stops completely. Hmm. Bill Clinton, one time at Los Angeles Airport, got his hair cut on Air Force One for an hour, and it shut down LAX for an hour. Do you think he knew that that was the situation, or was he? Just I not don't think he really knew it. because it was new in it was new in his uh, in his administration when that happened. But that but that was. I, I'm surprised that that the presidential pilot didn't go back there and say, "Sir, you you realize you're shutting down LAX while you're getting your hair cut. <laughs> Why don't you go inside and get your hair cut?" Well, you know, but that that's that that would take logic. But so anyway, you have the seventh, the primary sitting there. My airplane is parked so that I can see what's going on. I might be hiding. It would just, you know, here's here's a building, here's a building, and I got my nose yeah, just stuck you, out like that. You never see that plane. Well, let me let me tell you. At first, it was black ops. It didn't exist um, until, and I'll explain how this happens. The okay, primary's there. Mm -hmm. 
the, the backup 747 is 50 miles down in a holding pattern. He can be back down in 10 minutes. So, 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 so there's a backup 747 too? Always flying. So you've got the, the Air Force One, which the president's on. Mm -hmm. Then you've got you a have, backup 747 circling. The backup 747 50 miles away. And then there's, there's the press plane. The press plane at the time was done by Pan Am, so it was called Clipper One. Mm -hmm. Okay. The president would get on board, and the presidential pilot would say, um, back up, you're released. Sam, you're cleared to taxi. That's me. Mm -hmm. Sam, you're cleared to taxi. Clipper, you're cleared to taxi. So I would go zipping out, and, the, and all the reporters would see this little tiny airplane with, with the you know, United States of America and all the other kind of stuff on it. So they started asking questions about it. And it wasn't until early 1991 that, that they admitted that the Cenex existed. Other than really? that, my wife didn't know what I did. <laughs> How long was it a program before they acknowledged uh, to, to be honest it? with you, I don't know when they started it, but, but it was there the whole five years I was there. And that was, again, in the 80s, right? Yeah, 87 to 92. Interesting. Yeah, 87 to 92. So They're still not very open about it. Like, you still oh, don't see this. It's not, it's not even... I, I went on the website just to try to find out whether, they, whether the unit still existed. Mm -hmm. Because they don't fly these airplanes anymore. They've gone to, they, this is a G3. Mm -hmm. They've gone to G5s now, which has one more window, which gives it about three more people, but it's got bigger engines. Same, same airplane, just bigger model. So anyway, uh, then we would, we would go ahead and take off. The, the, um, the backup would generally go home for a mm -hmm. while because he's not needed until they're ready to depart the next station. So. The, the press plane, uh, Clipper One and, and, and me, we'd go, we'd beat feet over to, over to the next station, land, I'd, I'd go hide, <laughs> I'd go hide, I'd find some hangar that I could peek yeah. around, and then the Air Force One would do what's called a timing leg. At the 89th, we had a 60 second countdown. You had to hit your block time within 60 seconds. We could never be more than 60 seconds early, never late. And I don't care how far we flew, 60 seconds early, so never late. That's why the timing leg had to happen. Yeah. So they go out and they fly a timing leg, and then, and then he goes in, he goes in and, and, and touches down. So clearly, it's a big deal. It's a huge ordeal anytime the president travels, whether it's official business or they're just going for some R&R. George Herbert Walker Bush loved to fish, so mm -hmm. we spent a lot of time down in the Keys. Well, we'd fly into... Key West down there, Key West Airport down there, and we had a mobile facility. It was the longest trailer, longest RV you ever wanted to see in your life, and just absolutely huge. And we, it would go into the Naval Air Station, and then they would drive it down to Key West Airport, which is which is where we would I put my airplane in, and then we'd live in that thing. For, and, and there were two crews, so we would be on 24, off 24, on phone 24, off 24. But I mean, it's a, it's a, I mean, it slept eight. Wow. I, I mean, slept eight, had shower facilities, had everything else, a com, you know, satellite, satellite com facility, and the whole, you know, all, all the classified stuff. You know, the week we could get all the messages and everything in, and, and then when it wasn't, then they'd take it back up, put it in a C-130, and fly it back to Anders. Wow. And we had two of them. They were gigantic. They flew they, it. They'd fly it up there in a C-130 or a C-141. Interesting. Just like they do with the presidential car. 
you know, the one for the the military lift command would fly, flies the flies the presidential car. I never even thought about that. Oh yeah, to get it from mm -hmm. yeah. I, mean, I guess they I guess the president doesn't go to like Hertz when he gets into town <laughs> yeah. and rents a car. Because that thing is that thing's a rolling tank. So you've got I a mean, plane the doors flying on it are that car. thick. You know. you know, and this puts some context because you hear about you know well the president traveled here and it cost twelve million dollars for him to do that. This puts some context into why mm -hmm. it's so expensive because you've got a huge when I went to When I went to, to um, Paris, they were trying to, to limit everybody to how many airplanes they could bring in, stuff like that. They were limited to three. Reagan took in 21, 21 aircraft, 141s with nothing but comm equipment in them nothing but communications equipment. They took over an entire hotel and the top two floors were nothing but communications. I don't know whether I should have said that or not, but, it, but anyway, that, that's 1988. Well, yeah, that's thinking, long gone. Right, I'm yeah, feeling like gone. now it's probably yeah. a lot smaller, yeah. a lot yeah. more compact. But, but they, they brought in 21, airplane, 21 aircraft. A couple more interesting details. The president cannot fly on any airplane that is not part of this SAMEX program through the Air Force. And the president has a pilot. If the president's on a plane, his particular pilot or that pilot's backup is going to be in the captain's seat. And also, Air Force One isn't the name of one plane. Any plane that the president is on is referred to as Air Force One. In other words, Trump's pilot on his on his 757, mm -hmm. all they're doing is flying around the family now. He, they can't touch him. Nope. They can't, they, can't, they can't touch it because the Air Force uh -huh. or the Marines fly the president. That's it. Yeah, you oh, know. you mean on Trump's, not on, on his private plane, not yeah, on Air on Force. His, yeah, on, I got you. Yeah, on, on his Trump plane, right. 750. He owns a 757 sure, sure. With, with Trump on it. Well, only his family can use it. He can't ride on he that can't. anymore. So a president cannot go on any kind of flight other than one flown by, other than an Air Force One Plane. Well, let me put it this way: any plane he's on is Air Force One. I don't care if it's a Cessna, oh. if it's a Cessna 152. If okay. he's on it, it's Air Force One. That's why this would be Air Force One. Okay. Or this would be Air Force Two. You know, if if the vice president was on it, and the vice president has a, has a 757. Uh huh. You know, uh, but but I flew the vice president many times on a Gulfstream. Interesting. As 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 Air Force Two. All right, so now that we have a better idea about how all this works, let's dig into what I think we're all really here for, the dirt. Okay, well, not really, but what was it like flying presidents, first families, vice presidents, and other dignitaries? Don't worry, Bob's got stories. Oh, does he have stories. We'll start with a couple about the lovely Barbara Bush. I was going to take um, Barbara Bush down to um, San Antonio to campaign for GW when he was running for governor against uh, Ann White. Her um, personal secretary's name is Anna Perez. It was so windy that day that she motorcaded over rather than flying a helicopter over. Now, the usual thing is the doors open, she wanders up, she wanders up, stops at the top of the stairs, waves to the people who aren't supposed to know she's leaving <laughs> because it's all confidential, waves to the people, and then she comes on board and then we, we take off. We close and then we take off. Well, she always wore these dresses that were straight bodice and then a pleated skirt. You know, yeah, pleated I'm, skirt on the bottom? I'm picturing it. Yeah, just, you know, mm -hmm. she always wore those. With the pearls. Well, with, with the pearls, <laughs> exactly. It was windy, but it wasn't really, really cold. So she didn't have a coat on. 
So I think she just had a sweater on top, on top of her thing. Well, she gets up here, she starts to wear, and her skirt's completely up over top. Of oh, and a Marilyn and Monroe. And she's sitting moment. there trying to get it down. And it's just, it was so bad that the Secret Service agent whipped his coat off and wrapped it around her waist. Oh. And she walks in and she just looked at me and she said, I can't believe it. I just showed my butt to the world. <laughs> <laughs> we got down to San Antonio and um, she got off, she did her thing, and she came back on the airplane, same thing happened. Well, I was gonna take her to San Angelo. It's just a real short hop, 30, 40 minutes, something like this. And I said, Anna, look, it's only, it's, this, is, this is cut for an hour, it's not more than a 20 minute trip over there. I said, do you, do you want me to go straight there? And she said, absolutely not. You get me there late, I don't care. And I said, well, okay, fine. So I take off, you know, uh, and the, the call sign for the first lady or for the first family is Executive One Foxtrot. That's, okay. So Executive One First Family, that's what that means. Executive One Foxtrot. So I'm airborne, Executive One Foxtrot airborne. Roger, you're clear, direct so and so. And I said, no, I want to go over there, and I want to go over there, and I want to go over there, and I want to go over there. And, and then I worked my way back over there, and then they just said, Cleaners requested, and you know, yeah, so they were back there ironing her straight skirt. Oh, <laughs> so she was changing clothes. She was not going to have another wardrobe yeah. malfunction. No, no so more. You no were more giving her the full time. Yeah, no more wardrobe malfunctions for that. Yeah, and then I, I had one other one. I had flown her, and she went back to the White House. My brother was the assistant head of the White House, and he would greet greet the first family and everything when they came down and whatnot, whatnot. and he was taking her upstairs and he said, uh, Mrs. Bush, how was, your, how was your flight? And she said, uh, oh, it was very good, Skip, why, why, why do you ask? And he says, well, my brother was a pilot. And she said, well, why didn't he talk to you? And of course he explained to her that I don't talk to them unless they talk to me. So I get this phone call, brother Bob, yeah, hey Skip, what do you know? I have a message from the first lady. I said, oh, I'm thinking, am I getting fired? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now go ahead, Skip. He says, next time you fly her, talk to her. Oh. So I said, oh, well, okay. Well, it just so happens I was going to take her out to California. I was going to fly her all the way to California. So I had lots of time. So I take off and I, I level off and and I turned over to the co-pilot and I went back and I said, Mrs. Bush, I'm 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 Colonel Allen. I'm 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 Skip's brother. All she did for the next hour was tell me how much she loved my brother. Oh. <laughs> so when we got down, I called my brother and I said, I said, now I know why you wanted me to talk to the first lady because all she talked about was you. <laughs> That's right. That's right. He wanted you to hear how great he was. And you said he's the head, he was the head usher? He was the assistant head usher. Assistant head usher. My, my brother spent 42 years at the White House. First of all, as a Secret Service agent, then as a as a tour guide, which is Secret Service agents, and then he applied to the usher's office. And there's only four ushers that run that run the White House. They're the they're the think of think of the of the White House as a as a museum. They're the curators of the museum, oh. and they are the they are the the go between between the White House staff and the presidential staff and the presidential and the first family. So in other words, I'd be sitting in his living room and he'd get a call, and, oh, Ms. Bush, how are you doing? And he says, okay, I'll, I'll tell him. Uh, and he'd call back up, it's too cold. We, you, you turn the heat up a little bit. You know? <laughs> uh, his first job as usher was to move uh, Carter out and Reagan in. He had 100 people to do it in, took him two and a half hours to the point where they just pull out the drawer and there was their underwear <laughs> and everything wow. else. I mean, it was just just total. You know, while, while the president's swearing in, they do the big swap. He was there from all the way through Obama.
Yes, I'm definitely already working on setting up an interview with Bob's brother, Skip, to talk about the thing he did. But now, back to Bob. So while Bob has warm feelings and some great stories about Barbara Bush, he doesn't feel quite the same about her predecessor. Ronald Reagan was wonderful. He was absolutely wonderful. Nancy wanted to be treated like, like a movie star. Yeah. Uh, you know, she, she liked that. She liked that movie star stuff. And um, she didn't like the color of the airplanes, so we had to change them all. We had to color the, color the interior of the airplanes, had to change them all. Everything that she was ever going to run on needed to be burnt orange. Oh, my word. She was a burnt orange person. So we had, and they had just been, just brand new, the interiors had just been brand new done, and then, then had, to, had to undo all of them and take them back or redo them again. So something else about flying presidents and dignitaries around, when you're flying for the SAM unit, Bob explains that you have a lot of autonomy. And when your VIP passenger makes a special request, well, you do what you can to accommodate. Like the time Vice President Dan Quayle made an unusual request about takeoff. I was flying Air Force Two. I was Air Force Two and I was taking not only not only the the vice president, Dan, Dan Quayle, but his, his wife, Marilyn, and their two children. They had two little boys that were, oh, maybe they were seven, seven-ish, somewhere around in there. They were, they, were, they were pretty small kids. And um, Stewart came forward and he said, uh, Colonel Allen, um, the vice president would like for you to do a max performance climb out of here. What does that mean? That means pulling the pulling the plane up and going just as just you know holding it down and then go just nail it. <laughs> and I kind of went, "You go back and verify that." So he went back and he came back and he said, "Yeah, that that's what the vice president would like. He'd like for you to do a max. He would like to see you do a max a max climb in this airplane." And I said, well, okay. So I called up Washington Center. Washington Center only, only, only clears you to between twelve and 15,000 initially. And I said, Washington Center, I need clearance. This Air Force Two, I need clearance to 20,000 feet. Okay. I said, I turned to Tower and I said, Tower, don't watch this. <laughs> Just, you don't want to know that this happened. Yeah, yeah you don't want to. So I held it down as long as I possibly could and I just yanked it up and we just blasted right straight to 20,000 feet, you know, and leveled off and we were cruising along and after you know all, your adrenaline must have. That had to be a oh, thrill. Oh, it is. You know, to, to pull the airplane up yeah. that, that I mean, just and it just soars because you just don't you don't do that kind of stuff. And uh, the steward came forward to see if I wanted any cookies or anything, and I, I said, "Well, how did the uh, how did the vice president like that climb?" And he says, "You're never going to believe what happened." And I said, "Well, you better tell me because <laughs> if I'm going to get fired, I at least I want to know why." <laughs> There were three sections in the Gulf Stream. There were the VIP section up here, the regular section, and then a full stand-up bathroom in the back. I mean, a full, full great big bathroom in the back, six feet, six feet back. Door, opens the door, opens the door, and everything else, put his kids on trays, and when I went like this, they slid the entire length of the airplane back into the bathroom. <laughs> and I said, he did what? And he said, yes, sir. And I said, and you didn't say anything about it? He said, sir, I'm an E6. <laughs> He's a vice president. And I said, okay. So I never entertained a request like that again. In September of 1991, after flying for the Air Force for 20 years and making lieutenant colonel, Bob decided it was time to retire from the Air Force. But he wasn't done with flying just yet. He flew commercially for a while, kind of hated it. 
Who could blame him? He flew charter jets out of Nashville and has some great stories about flying celebrities around like Tim McGraw and Faith Hill, Toby Keith and Clint Black, and one not-so-great story about Christina Aguilera. He also worked as a flight instructor, training pilots to fly the ginormous C-5 Galaxy. This, this particular thing is called, is called C-5 over Carolina, and somebody penciled in both north and south. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's that big. But we could carry an Atlas missile. That's how big it was. I was also, it's also air refuelable. And I was an air refueling instructor and everything else in it. See, see it opens up in the back, it opens up in the front and it can squat, it squats down and everything like that, so it's a drive-on capability. Really? Oh yeah, wow. it, just, it, it just goes right down and opens, its no, opens the nose and puts out the ramp, puts out the ramp in the back and you can just drive. It's, huh. uh, the interior is 19 feet wide, 14 feet high, and 141 feet long. That's the cargo area, just the cargo area alone. We carried 52,000 gallons of fuel. The top of the tail, as it sat on the ground, was 65 feet tall. In 2013, after a remarkable career, Bob finally retired. These days, Bob is thoroughly enjoying his well-earned retirement in Kernersville, North Carolina, with his wife and their sweet dog. He plays golf just about every day, relishes the time he gets to spend with family. He's also active with his American Legion post, where, you guessed it, He's the commander. I've enjoyed my life. I've done everything I've ever wanted to do. I've And, and it's been very special. I, I thank God every day that I get up. And with that, let's bring this one in for a landing. Thanks again to today's guest, Lieutenant Colonel Bob Allen. And thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of The Thing You Do, go back and check out all of the episodes. Also, don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And check out The Thing You Do on Facebook to join the conversation about the show and stay in the loop about upcoming episodes. Finally, if you have any comments or suggestions about the podcast or ideas for future guests, I want to hear from you. Call and leave a message at 405-355-8264. That's 405-355-TAMI, T-A-M-I. Or email me, tammy, at thingyoudo.net.